Welcome to the Beyond Capital Podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now, more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of social values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. And this is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Rick Perez, the CEO of Avantgarde Innovative. Avantgarde Innovative is one of the largest recycling and waste managers in the United States. They help companies optimize and monetize their hidden green assets through corporate recycling and waste programs. Rick is a Mexican-American entrepreneur who has worked in sustainable waste management for 30 years. Rick was featured in Real Leaders Magazine, list of immigrants that helped change the world, and has won the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Welcome, Rick. Thank you for being here with us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. So let's dive in. You founded Avantgarde 30 years ago. That is correct. You were probably ahead of your time when it came to recycling then. Can you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to start the company and where the recycling industry was when you started it? Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, I wish I could tell you when I was a 22-year-old kid going to college that I had figured this all out, but the reality that's not really the case. You know, I was very intrigued by what was happening in the primarily in the PET business, which is the Coke bottles. Back then, nobody even knew what a PET bottle was. But if you talk about soft drink bottles, and it really started with in Mexico, uh, there was a major issue with the bottles that were going into a landfill. They were thick. I don't know if most of you guys that remember the old days used to have a deposit bottle. Well, that deposit bottle, uh, they, they were so thick, they couldn't put them in the landfill anymore. So what we did is I looked at the opportunity to figure out a way to capture that and really finding a way to do that. My father at the time, it was before NAFTA, and so he distributed a lot of these products. And I had these data books. I don't know if you guys remember the Tom and Registers books. And I kept looking for opportunities where to place it. And I got lucky. I went down to Mexico, talked to Coke and Pepsi. I said, I think I have a solution. And I started to create that. That's where I started the company and, and focus on bringing the solutions on to them and selling it to the carpet industry. And that's really where we started. And back in those days, recycling was the last thing anybody ever talked about, right? There was... If you're not a doctor or attorney or something else back then, you know, we're, we, uh, you didn't get a whole lot of uh, uh, time. But obviously where we are today, sustainability and where the initiatives are, the social responsibility today has completely changed. So, yeah, it's been a, it's really a wonderful journey. I phone and a fax, $1,000 at my parents' house in Katy, Texas, so I can't complain. You were a visionary. Well, can't I'll deny it. visionary, thank you. But I also think a little bit of lucky, right? I think you create a little bit of your vision. Um, you have to have some vision, but you have to have some luck along the way and also have great people around you to be able to get where, where we are now. So let's take a step back, Rick. We've talked about previously a zero waste economy. How does your company, which... Um, 
I know you refer to from time to time as AI, avant-garde, innovative, contribute to a zero-waste economy? Well, that's a great question. You know, and here, here's what we do. So what we realized, and really when I first started this, we were just thinking about capturing material, right? It was about how do we capture the recyclables that were easy to find? And that's where we created a program called Natura for nature and, 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 and that it could work in in U.S. and Latin America. So we're in 11 countries now. So we wanted something that that uh, would resonate with, with everybody. But the reality is then we went to Natura you know, zero. And that was about waste diversion, right? How do we figure out a way to make sure they didn't go to the landfill? And so that was our second step. And the third step is Natura Zero 2.0. And 2.0 is really what changes. It's really, you know, I hate to use the word disruptor, but it is. And what happens, we're using technology to make sure that you can capture and find um Everything that was going to a landfill, we're able to take it out that can be captured and recycled and making sure we monetize it. So it's really an easy way to think about the technology. We call it sustain and sustain. What we do is, is the Fitbit for the waste and recycling. So think about putting devices like the compactor, Baylor and the scale. And we check the wellness of the back of a store. So if you're talking to big national accounts that have thousands of locations, the last thing anybody looks at is a dumpster. So what we do, we use data analytics and we use artificial intelligence to recognize what is in the dumpster. Every time something goes in there, we know the weight and we also know what time it gets pulled, does it get serviced, and then we right size it. So what happens is if you really want to make sure you waste diversion, you have to know what's inside going into it first. And really, that's what nobody ever could see. And then we, with technology, with the data scientists, we create model to pull that back out. We have an optimization team that goes, trains, and implements the whole flow process to capture and monetize it. So that means we make money from it, and we reduce our waste costs, and that's what we do. So are the um, the dumpsters on on a scale, a super sensitive scale? Well, most dumpsters, if you look at equipment used in the waste uh, management business, are, we call it dumb equipment, right? There is no scale that's put onto those things. So we use sensors. So these are different types of sensors depending on what we're trying to measure. But we sensor fullness, we sensor uh, pressure, and we also sensor weight. So it depends on the type of uh, um, container and, and, and compactor that it is. We have the right widgets that, that create that. But the key of our secret sauce is really doing the surgery because data without execution is worthless, right? So you can, a lot of people can see data, but you don't visualize it. So you say it's full. And my always question was, okay, so you know it's full. What's it full of? And if you can't really see what's inside of it, we have basically face recognition software that tells us what's inside of that dumpster. And now we can identify the cardboard, the plastic, the aluminum, the metal, or any other impurities that we want to look for that we can capture and monetize. So primarily recyclables, right? That's what we're looking for. It's, well, how do we monetize and take all that out of the waste stream into the revenue stream? So what we forget sometimes that waste is a cost and recycling is a revenue. In most companies, the way they do it, they use recycling as a, as a uh, they call it a rebate to lower waste costs. 
And that's where we get lost in translation, right? But uh, when you, if you can, we, we always say we can manage it. You can visualize it. You can manage it. You can make change, right? And that's really what we're always trying to do. Turning trash into cash. Correct. And we call it finding your hidden green assets. When companies look at waste, they always they forget that it's such a huge um, cost, but it gets lost in the transition. It gets it's part of your SCNA. You say, well, every time I roll out a store, this is what's going to cost me. And nobody really puts the efficiencies in the back of a store. But if I, if you think about how the waste management system works in general, uh, there's great companies. They have a great purpose and they're wonderful what they do. And they, you know, they serve exactly what you need them for. But our whole idea is not to change the waste model. We're just going to make it efficient. That's it. And by creating that efficiency, you're also doing everything environmentally correct. And the companies make a lot more money by pulling it out of the trash and monetizing it, right? And for us, it's all about circular economy, so we took it even further. So now we take it into our plants here in Houston. We're building another one in Mexico, another one in Nevada. And what we're doing with that, we're converting that plastic film packaging, which is recycled less than 10%, is the fastest-growing resin produced in the world. And single stream recycling cannot take it. And the reason they can't take it because that, that gets stuck in all their conveyor belts oh. and all of their, their debris roll screens. So the last thing, that's why they don't go there. It's not that they don't want it. It's just the, the way they're set up. They're very good for rigid paper, cardboard movements. And there's a big cost to that. So what we do is we go before that happens, we capture it, we bring it to our facility that we call it Matura PCR. And we're turning that to a very high value, high quality film grade again that's specced into high end products. So that way the brand owners are putting it, you know, we look at circular economy as end of life products. We take the pellet, goes right back into uh, high, high grade products, back into the shelf, right back to the consumer. And we do start the collection process all over again. And that's where we're really thinking about. So our company is 100% focused on circular economy and how to drive that end of life product, bringing it back, making it to a product and put it right back into the shelf so the consumer sees that our customer is really aware of the environmental and, 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 and social impact that they need to drive. By the way, for them, it's a very economical and it's great for, for them as a branding and also on top of that, they're making more money. So it's great all around. What would an example of a product that uh, kind of lives in that life cycle be to give a more kind of concrete picture? Absolutely. So let's think about it in, in the texture of something that we can all relate. We all buy soft drinks or beer or some product like that. The six pack rings that you think about. And uh, if you, you think about the six pack rings of plastic, obviously that's something that's been, uh, publicized as a negative uh, thing into the ocean and with whales and so on. The reality now, what we're doing is we're creating a big program to take all that back, comes back into our system. We're generating with, um, it uses 75% less energy and conversion cost to put it back into the system. And now it's going back with recycled content, back in producing the six-pack rings, which is called carrier rings. It goes back onto the shelves, back to the consumer, and we've taken it all back. So the key is is capturing 
we have the solution to process it, to put it right back into a product that goes back to the consumer. The consumer brings it right back to a store. We bring it into post-consumer resin. We put it into the high-quality grade again, and the consumer sees it. So that's one of the big products that you'll see out soon that, uh, all over the world. So are, are you primarily just um, sort of paying these uh, locations to take the material away, and then it's sort of your business what you do with it? Or is there like a revenue share component? with them? Well, I mean, I think there's very different, every corporation has a different way to manage their recycling. And, and sometimes they, you know, the hard thing is to go inside an organization and explain to them, this is a continuing like product development, right? It's circular economy is not something that you do one time. So it's not a widget sale. You can't go into a company and say, this is what you need to do and recycle correctly. Cause the next day that employee moved, or the executive that was running the program was gone. So the way we do it from a strategy is how do we align ourselves with the environmental partners, what we call our customers, and making sure that continually we're working through the process to how do we get that more efficient. Now, some models are revenue sharing, right? Is we align ourselves so as they reduce costs, we make money that way. And so we're always incentivized the less waste is generated and that goes into a landfill, we're incentivized by that. And also by increasing the recyclables, then we're, we're, we're incentivized by that. So purely we align ourselves with the environmental partners that that's what they want. They want to capture more and sell more. And then they obviously want to lower their, their waste costs with obviously the fact of a customer excellence. And that's what, that's how we, we kind of look at our financial model. With them. Mm-hmm. Thanks. So we know that effective waste management is challenging and, and often for municipalities occupies sometimes upward of 50% of their budgets. We've also seen plastic bag bans in many major cities, even in developing countries. In, when looking at these trends, don't you think it would be better to convince governments and, and companies that recycling and the circular economy zero waste approach is more effective than perhaps banning a, a product that we're all used to using on a daily basis? Absolutely. I think what happens is, you know, anytime there is a, a, an issue environmentally, we want to pivot so fast and fix without really understanding it, right? And if you look at you know, we, we are a, a provider of solutions. So for whatever environmental um, needs our environmental partner requires, whether they go paper, plastic, aluminum, metal, it, it doesn't matter to us. But we do know things, right? In 30 years of experience, we know that plastic as a consumer, it's, it's a product that is very convenient and brings a lot of value to us from a cost structure. But also the problem has been is that we have not created the infrastructure to capture it all. There's always a home for it. And it's all about how do we segregate it correctly and where do we capture it. So I think one of the main things that's happening is when we throw in, we have thrown this biodegradable plastics. Well, what that just happened by throwing biodegradable plastics in the recycling streams, you can't recycle that. So by everybody thinks that's a good thing. It really is a bad thing because it, it contaminates the stream. So how do we sort that out now, right? And that has to go to landfill versus going to a circular economy product, right? And then banning plastic, if you look at 
the impacts in, you know, I'm not a scientist, but I've seen a lot of studies, what is impacting the environment. We see, because we can see something, that's why it's easy to, to criticize and to do that. But it also, if you think about it, if you can see it, that also means we can pick it up. So we don't see as chemicals and other components that are, that are getting into this, the micro, you know, uh, situations that we are not seeing. So I always believe if you can see something, you can fix it. So we know it's not the plastic itself, right? The plastic is not the problem. It's the fact that we as society are not capturing and we're allowing that to happen. So do we need some, some government agencies to help with that? Do we need, uh, you know, social awareness? Do we need corporations to help in? It, it, it takes a whole village to fix this problem. But the answer to say that we're going to get rid of all the plastics or I think that's it. That's not a, the right thing to say or do. That's just my opinion. Let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you have said that your background as an immigrant was a competitive advantage to you in, in business. Talk a little bit more about that. Well, the reason I, I think that's a, you know, obviously I, I was, you know, I think the, the United States, the, the best country in the world has given me all these opportunities. So for me, when, when I was brought here, uh, you know, when I was eight years old into the United States, you know, my dad gave me the biggest gift. And um, the way I say that, I, the immigrant, when, when I go back to countries and we operate in 11 different countries and you see that sometimes the development or, or it's not there. So I look at where the inefficiencies of a country and the efficiencies of a country. Third, third, third world countries have a tendency to be more resourceful. Why? because the, the economic structure is not there, right? So th they're more used to fixing things or making, finding a way to make money out of something to create that value. So if you look at when you go down to Mexico, you will see, you'll never see an aluminum can, right? Plastic is getting recycled more. And the reason is, is because you're using manpower. But that's not very efficient in the United States because it costs too much to do that. So... You know, you try to find a way and a balance to learn from these other countries. And what that's helped me is to learn from a different approach, how we should do it, what we shouldn't do, and how do we create that ecosystem and, and figure out a way to, to create better practices within all our 11 countries that work better. And it's really interesting. So that's, but I took it an approach from, an, from when I say that from an immigrant's friend, because, you know, you learn from a young boy to become resourceful. And that also has created that hungriness to fix problems and find a way. And that's my line. So it's find a way to win. Right. And that's, that's, that's my mentality. And that's how I was brought up. Rick, how many people do you have in your company? So we have about over 750 employees. Now uh, we sold a couple of companies out and, and uh, we over, we had over 2000 employees at one time. So yeah, it's been uh, interesting because now you, the way I look at it is that families depend on the structure and organization. So, you know, that has been one of my favorite things to, that I can look back and say, you know, we, we really have a good support and good, good team. And that's the best thing. You know, we built some families that, that are all focused on recycling and good things. So I sleep well at night knowing that when you wake up in the morning, people are happy, have a job and they have a purpose. So when people come to this organization, they, we're, you know, they know our focus is the environment and how do we solve an issue. And every day is about not going landfills, capturing and monetizing it. So 
I think it's, it's, you know, I'm very proud of that. And do you find differences in, you know, cultural differences with respect to your purpose or your mission in these different 11 countries, I think, or 13, you said, um, well, absolutely. you know, is, and, and how do you keep them all on track? I would, I would just off the tip of my head, just think some of them must be less sensitive than others, but maybe they're not. Can you shed some light on the cultural differences and your mission and how you manage that and think about it? Well, diversity, obviously, we're probably the most diverse company I know, right? So if you look at our corporate office, we have, you know, obviously we trade in China. So from China to to, to Spanish and, and, and English, and you, you'll listen to all these uh, languages happening in, in, in our organization. The key is is how do you mesh the, the, the our, our core values, which is fresh. We create this uh, core value. So failure is not an option until you fail. Uh, we tr- recently changed it to find a way because it's, you know, we believe that's a better one, but it's, it's about challenging yourself to continue to do that, right? Uh, relationships, embrace change, shoot, shoot it straight and have fun. And that's our core business. And so it, first and foremost is how do you embed that as part of your conversation on a daily basis and the ability to have your employees? I report down, my, my top executives report down. So it's all about reporting down, not up, and creating that culture. Because at the end of the day, sometimes companies have it a little backwards and you think you're on top. Well, no, then you get reported too. No, I report down to make sure that my net second level has all the tools and, and necessary things to do that. And so we try to continue to do that down the line in all the countries. And then we, we, we understand the limitations in certain countries but that's also sometimes our opportunities. So we learn and we always try to create these cross-matching and integration of technologies and talks within the countries. So we have, we have huddles, we call them huddles, and they're 15 minutes every single day. And standing up, and we talk about victories, rocks, and goal of the day. And that's how we, we kind of approach that we can learn from everybody. So I imagine that the way people, consumers, companies have approached waste in the past is different than now. Since you launched the business, have you observed changes in the way that we either waste, you know, throw away more um, or different types of waste? And also, how has your company adapted to that? Uh, Great question. Well, I can tell you when it first started, uh, you know, waste and recycling was never a topic that was brought up. It was just like in a corporate, um, was never being a big issue. Now, if you look at now, how many companies have, you know, a sustainability uh, mission and strategy? Not only that, they have a sustainability directors. They have a whole sustainability team. Now you have companies that have circular economy teams, which is something that, it, you know, if you look at where education was going to go is, where do you get an engineer that has information about circular economy? There is not a degree. So I think part of where, where we're also going is where do you get these talent? Because right now you, you kind of create, cultivate your own engineering and piecemeal the, the solutions. And, um, and companies today are really focusing on that. So if you looked at a CEO of Fortune 500s, now a sustainability reports to the CEO. I mean, when would that ever happen? So I think the, 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 the whole pressure on the society that we need to do the right things, the generation, the millenniums, they realize 
that the environment is very important and the responsibility to do the right thing. And uh, I think corporations have figured out, look, I mean, we can do the right thing. We can make great products. Now what's also happened is there's technology there. There's the ability to do this. So, you know, sometimes it's not people, companies didn't want to do it. They just weren't, there was not the tools or technology to drive that. Now we do. So when we built the company to create the, the largest post-consumer resin plant in the world in Mexico to convert it over, back then everybody thought there's no way we can do it and make it commercially viable. It's still the largest plant in the world producing and it's owned by uh, Grupo Arca and Coca-Cola in Mexico and, and some other partners. And, and they're, they're putting recycled content in their bottles every single day. Now we're going to do the same thing with post-consumer resin with film, right? That we're talking about uh, Natura PCR. So that evolution of technology, but I can tell you four years or five years ago, we could not change that at a high volume, high production without the technologies that are out today. So that's really where the evolution it, it, like I said, it takes it takes corporations, it takes retail, and I think really the future of true sustainability, it has to start since the polymer gets this design, right? The, the base product or how are we going to create it? Work through this whole supply chain. So whoever's going to convert it, whoever's going to uh, make the product, right? So for the generation of the polymer, the whoever's going to convert it and make a product, the brand owner, what color and shapes and where it's going to go and then end of life companies like us how are we going to take it when you finish the product so that's kind of where you think about it from a product development side everybody has to be on the table so we all know look do what you need to do with it but how are we going to capture it? what are we going to make out of it so we can put it right back into circular economy and and, and help the environment and you got everybody makes money and that's really the, the the true sustainability that i think that's where it's going to go rick i was um that's fascinating. I was just thinking about my uh, young adult children who are um, Gen Zers. And every time we have these conversations, you know, a lot of the things that they've said and, and you know, brought to my attention come to my mind. And, and one that I'd just love to hear about, which may be a little bit off topic, but, um, you know, there's kind of big news now that China is not accepting recyclables anymore. Um, something like that. And, and, um, and so now I think one of my kids said, you know, there's no point in recycling because, um, you know, it's just going to go in the garbage because actually the recycling programs have all been kind of upended by, um, this shift with, with our relationship with China. I just wonder being such an expert in the field, if you could shed a little bit of light on that, that I could take back to my kids. Absolutely. You know, that's a, it's sad, but it's true the the way, miscommunicate, you know, like what they always tell you, don't always read or, or don't always believe everything you read on the internet. Yes, the answer is China, because of the trade issues that we're having, they decided to shut that down. India did the same thing. So what's going to happen to commodity pricing? It's, it's supply and demand. It goes down, right? It's just a natural supply and demand curve that's happening today. That doesn't mean that in the United States and, and surrounding countries, we don't have the outlets or the demand for the product. So when the people say there is no recycling, that's absolutely not true. Every product that can get captured should be recycled and it goes appropriately. And let me, let's go to the bottom line, money, right? At the end of the day, why would you do that? The other option, if you don't capture, you may not be making as much money as a company or 
is when you're doing it in, in, in recycling and in either curbside. But at the end of the day, is if, if you look at it, the other alternative is charging to put it in a landfill. And that costs money. So even if you give it away for zero, you're taking away your cost. So, yes, prices may go down, up and down, but there will always be recycled. Now, is there is there some... Uh, you know, some, some companies that might put it into the landfill, they're not supposed to, they need to recycle it. They might say, well, my cost of, if I can charge for it, more cities and cities going to pay me anyways, it's better for me to put it in the landfill because I get paid for how much I put into the landfill versus if I sell recyclables in the open market. Right. But that's a different model. The curbside model and the B2B model are completely different. Mm-hmm. And that that there has to be a watchdog and somebody saying, "Look, if I paid you millions of dollars to recycle it's a curbside, you need to make sure it gets recycled and it goes right to the right products." Um, but the the answer again is every product that can be recycled right now has homes for it, right? It's just like we've got gasoline. You're going to buy the gasoline where it's where it's at three dollars or two dollars. You need the gasoline to move your car, and that's it. The necessity for recyclables. And especially with the movement on 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 uh, the circular economy, there's a, there's a demand for it. Cool, thank you. Appreciate that. Makes me feel better. Yes, recycling is a life, <laughs> and, and 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 it's continuing to grow. And I think that, you know, if you look at it as 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 products come out more and more in packaging, as a and that's a convenience. The answer is how do we capture that more and how do we make products that's going to help the environment? And, and that's really, if you look at from you, when you start from natural resources versus starting from a recycled content, I mean, you're saving huge amount of water, energy, conversion costs, CO pollution. It's, it's unbelievable because you're so far ahead of the game. And by the way, you're still going to, as the economy grows, you still need the raw material cost growth, but you, you you're going to blend it in, right? So, I think it's a a win all around. You know, I was really struck by the data and analysis and visualization techniques that you use to convince your customers that uh, recycling is worthwhile. And that's because when I, you know, put a plastic bottle in the trash recycling can or the recycling receptacle, I don't think about anything after that. Uh, And so I'd love for you to dive a little deeper for us here into perhaps the aha moments or the moment that you realize that the data and the visualization would be a winning approach for your company. Well, I think the aha moment uh, for, I think, where consumers can see that it's actually happening. So one of the things where you just talked about, the transparency People presume or they say they don't understand. So let me give you a perfect example. Um, if you look at your current soft drink bottles all around, okay, in plastic, most people look at it and it's a clear bottle, right? But most of those bottles already have post-consumer resin in it. The problem as a consumer, you don't, you can't tell the difference with one that has it and the other one that does, right? So there is no but aha moment for the consumer that things are doing the right thing. So let's take, for example, we had a customer, we told them, Hey, look, let's change your mindset. Leave some of the 
the green color bottles and blue color bottles into the street. What it's going to do that for you is going to create a light tint uh, a bottle. Now, I don't know if your consumer will obviously will see that and say, this is actually made with recycled content. We can visually see that, right? Well, obviously they didn't want to do it for brand you know, recognition. Two years later, they let it do that. Now it's one of their hottest selling bottles, right? And their drink, it's a water bottle, but now you know that it's green and it's, you know, that it was made for that content. So for us, it's not only, we don't talk about, we're just not talking about the recycling or the circular economy and how we put it back in. How do we optimize? We look at ourselves as also in the product development stage. So most, we have now customers uh, or, or, or brand owners that are going to produce products they'll ask us if that can be recycled. Now, that, this is a beautiful thing. That did not happen before. So the awareness of putting something into the stream, whether it's a color, whether it's a, and, and I don't want to get technical, but imagine if, if, if they put these additives. So plastic, the beauty thing about some of the plastics, you can put, you know, uh, UV rays coating or, 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 or for, for all kinds of things, from strength for. Um, for all kinds of things. You can just add add stuff to it. But if you co-extrude that with the nylons and mix it in with PET and all that, you can recycle it. But if you, if you do it in multi-layers, we can recycle that by separation of density, by separation of water, and that's how we use it. So there's a lot of things we can do in the recycling world. We just have to know about it and we tell, look, this is what will happen in the street. And that is really where things have, have evolved for us in a dramatic uh, way to, to do this. So it, that's the aha moment for me. I'm noticing that big companies have made a conscientious effort. And now as a consumer, we're talking in, a, in your podcast today and you guys about this, right? So the awareness is getting out there. I think society wants it, but we are all confused. What can be recycled, can be recycled. So one of the main things, we've got to simplify that model. Everything that can be recyclable should be able to be sorted in two or three bins, and that's it. And so that's where I think the, the, the next generation, and we're going to get a really good at educating. And it can be done every single city or location is different, right? We've got to standardize the process. So throughout the country, it's the same format, the same way, right? Right now, if you look at it, when I first started into the business, they, we didn't have a numbering system. Now there's every product you make, you'll see a one, a two, a three, a four, six, one, or seven, right? And that tells you what it is. So there's a certain way that we can do this, and I think that's where I think it's going, and, and I'm really excited about the future of circular economy and the thought process behind it. I'm excited about that, too, because I, I'm personally um, stressed sometimes when I'm like at a public venue and I'm holding my you know, wrapper and my drink, you know, in my hand, ready to throw it away. And there's like, there's the recycling, there's the composting, and then there's the trash. And I don't know which one should go and which one. And I feel like, oh, now I'm going to make exactly the wrong decision. And that's even worse probably because now I'm going to screw up like the recycling (laughs) machine or now I'm going to make it more expensive. So yeah, I appreciate it when they have the pictures on the trash cans, but um, definitely education. I think the younger generation is a little bit more in tune to it than. But I have a friend too who he 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 inside of his house, his wife and his two teenage daughters are 
are always criticizing him. And, and literally, they'll stand <laughs> in front of the trash can and look around and say, can you tell me which one to put this in? Because I'm afraid to make the wrong decision. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously going the right direction if there's that level of awareness. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, anything we can do to, to, to help people, um, I think, at the consumer level, would be really valuable. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, like, like you said, it's when it gets a little tricky, people say, well, you can't recycle the pizza boxes or you can't recycle the glass or you can't recycle freezer bags or you can't recycle certain things. Right. So it's the awareness or understanding that. And also, if you're making product, it goes back again in the product. When you're creating and developing a product, make it so simple that we can say all plastics are all this, you know, and, and, and that's a simplicity where we have to go. One of the big things we do with our customers if you look at the evolution of, of, of even from a, a soft drink bottle, again, I'm just sticking to that because that thing, that's the voice that evolved the most. Originally, the caps were made with a containment. So so your 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 main bottle is PET. The cap on top used to be made out of PVC. The problem with that one was you could not sort that out because they had the same density. So now they by changing just the cap to a polypropylene bottle, a, poly, a polyethylene cap, you could sort that out in water. So there's no issues in recycling. So now you can recycle everything here. So the label, it now is a, a properly, most of the time is a polyethylene based label that will go with the cap or polypropylene, whatever they decide, but it will go with the cap. So you can, now you can recycle 100% of that bottle and it doesn't create any conflict. So now when you're looking at, when you're buying packaging as an organization, all you have to standardize the same type of, uh, plastic or polymer that you want in your packaging. It, it's easier said than done because when you're a grocery store, you know, you have so many suppliers of products. So how do we standardize that? So there's some work to be done, but there, there's conversations are happening, but there's actually action being done. So that's what I like. Cause I've heard a lot of times people do a lot of talking, but I always say if there's no execution on it, it's just talk. And, and I can I can only say that with with a lot of our environmental partners, they really have learned and, and they listen to us, and they have taken uh, this into awareness. And you see the change, and such a small change makes a huge difference for us from a cost structure, the ability to to make it and process it in the right. And we don't have that many yield loss. And how do we get into instead of se- segregating? Is how do we actually make a good product out of it? And and it's 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 been a really good good uh, um, uh, progress on this area. Rick, uh, in addition to your major contribution to the circular economy, Avantgarde Innovative also has a foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about what that foundation is focused on and the mission? Yeah, so 3 Foundation is, is, is a foundation that we created for environment, education, and empowerment. And the main focus on that is what we're trying to create is and part of the solution that, that we, we've seen, in, especially in other countries, is a computer. If you look at out-of-date computers, we are an R2 certified company, but our, our deal is not about the recycling as much of that. But we would like to, what we're trying to do is create, you know, as, as people get rid of the old computers, not, they're not, there's nothing wrong with the computer. They're just not as fast, and they need maybe some cleanup or something like that. So what we're trying to do is take those work with the computer companies and the, and the, and the, and the, and the systems companies to upgrade and make them a little faster and better and donate that back to, you know, uh, uh, needy 
kids and, 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 and maybe for a professor, get them a better one and to educate it. And, and the way I like to describe that is being able to provide the windows of the world to a children that they don't have that opportunity. Right now, you can go into, if you have access to a computer and Wi-Fi, you have access to the world, right? You have access to education. You have access to where you want to be. And I think if you can give a kid that opportunity to see what they can be, they can be, you could be a doctor. You could be a mechanic. You can be whatever you want to be and learn from actually a computer. And those things is something that I, you know, I'm very passionate about and something that I want, you know, uh, you know, as my legacy goes out, I want to focus more on the foundation. That's hopefully I exit this one day, but you know, I'm still young enough and I'm passionate about what I do. And it's just kind of hard to manage both, but, but we were really focused on that. And I think that's a great place. And I think, it, you know, electronics are continuing to, to be an issue of continue to bring more to it. And how do we, and you'd be surprised how many children do not have a computer. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So we like to focus on the fact that emotional connection and meaning and purpose brings a feeling uh, that of happiness to one's life. So before we wrap up, tell us, how does doing good and making money at the same time feel to you? You know, I'll tell you, I think at the end of the day, that is the best feeling, right? I mean, I, for me, waking up in the morning with a purpose of doing good things, um, I think, you know, waking up in the morning and be able to, the more the opportunity that we can make money, hire more people, be able to create things more for the community, and at the same time, saving the environment. I could not, to be honest, I, I'm very lucky and fortunate to be in this position because I, I couldn't ask for a better job. So every morning I wake up, I think, and, and, you know, and it's okay to make money out of doing things environmentally. I think what are, part of the thing that I look at is saying a sustainable business has to be sustainable first, you know, economically, environmentally, and, and, and socially, right? If not, most companies and most initiatives will fall out of the waste stream. Right? They will not be continuous. And so if, now, if not, it'll fall on the stream of philanthropy. And philanthropy is a wonderful thing, but it's not sustainable every year, right? So it, 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 that's why, you know, I'm, I'm so, uh, you know, I say I'm blessed in, in many ways, but that, that's the reason I think it's a great thing when you can make some money, give some back, and then, and then uh, give back to, the, to your community and environment. Rick, thank you so much. As Ed said in the beginning, you were and are and continue to be a visionary. And it's been our absolute pleasure to get to know you and Avantgarde Innovative's work. Thank you. No, thank you guys. And I appreciate that your, your awareness on this circular economy and recycling and where we are today. So thank you for having me on. Thanks, Rick. Good luck. Thank you. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone.